More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Building a Lasting Legacy, Nine Steps to Family Business Success. George Isaac's immersion in the success factors that define family businesses saw him move beyond his role as a CEO of his own family's multi-generational enterprise and into consulting. George served both as a senior executive and on the board of a public company. Over his tenure, the organization acquired more than 25 businesses and grew to become a billion-dollar firm. Having familiarized himself with the nuances of mergers and acquisitions, and having witnessed the sale of many family businesses, George Isaac asserts that the negatives frequently outweigh the positives when a family divests. Often, a sense of purpose and community is lost when family members no longer have a formalized reason to see each other. From a financial perspective, it rarely makes sense. Taxes reduce the sales proceeds often by one-third. Prospective returns from reinvesting the remaining proceeds in fixed income and equity securities are typically less than the family's business returns. To prevent both kinds of loss, Isaac developed strategies designed to help families retain their businesses. His book, Your Business, Your Family, Your Legacy, Building a Multi-Generational Family Business That Lasts, demonstrates that family businesses foster strong communities by instilling positive family values. These values strengthen not only the bonds between family members, but also those they share with their employees, a unique competitive advantage. George Isaac sat down with us to share his insights through a nine-step program designed to ensure the continuity of family businesses. Enjoy this episode with George. Writing books is a huge undertaking. People, I don't think, uh, always fully appreciate that's a big thing to do. Well, what made you feel that this was the right moment for you to tackle this as an author? And like, what is the main premise in the book? What are you trying to achieve with it? Well, the main premise really is that is to provide a field guide or a reference manual on how to make your business last. And so it goes through all, and we can talk about it, it goes through all the attributes that you need to do and address. The reason I wrote the book is because I think I have some very unique perspectives principally because not only growing up in the family business, but also the work I did with Deloitte Consulting, the work I did with the, in the capital markets and buying other businesses and the public companies, and I was also private equity investing. Mm. So I had the benefit of being exposed to so many different careers, if you will, and experiences, that when I sat back and started thinking about what did I learn in these different areas as it relates to family businesses, I had a lot of aha moments aha moments that I realized I didn't do them the way I, I would have done them the second time around in our family business. And so I really thought I had some unique thoughts that I wanted to get shared with people. And the best way was really to get it documented into a book that would be permanent and could be used, you know, hopefully long past, you know, my time. So as a niche publication, we spend a lot of time talking about how family businesses are special, obviously, like, you know, because that's our job. So, um, you know, whether it's whether it's justified or not. But I like to ask people like yourself who have obviously worked in a corporate environment and with corporates and have worked with family businesses and have the CEO's perspective as well. Do you truly believe that it is harder to run a family business successfully than it is to run a non-family business successfully from the CEO's perspective? Do you think 
that ultimately there is a material difference in complexity. Unequivocally. <laughs> I say that right. Unequivocally, more difficult. Simply because, think about it, the business issues are all the same, right? Take a large private company that has you know, lots of shareholders, not a family business, or take a public company without public market, capital markets aspects to it. Those business issues are the same that you have running, your, running a family business. But on top of the family business, you have all these family dynamics that are multi-generational, that are baggage from prior generations, what happened when they were, who knows, when they were a kid or how their parents treated them or why this guy got to be you know, the CEO or how they yeah. got to be this and that and so forth. So yes, it's much more complicated. And what the challenge for the family business executive, particularly one like myself, who was really a business kind of guy by training, is to focus on the family issues as well as the business issues. So again, back to your book, though. So you, you tackle here, because of course, we all know that like one of the key pitfall moments of periods of time is, of course, when the family business is supposedly transitioning to the next generation, or at least prepares for it. They're the types of arguments that come to the table, the types of relationships that sort of like come into the open when it comes to talking succession are quite different when then when talking just day to day business, as we know, right? Like so in you in your book, you specify an actual roadmap to how to plan succession successfully to make your family business last another generation. Can you tell us a little bit more about the step by step approach you describe? Sure. There's kind of family issues and there's you know the business transitional issues. And the first step I have is I call it family planning and communications. And so often decisions get made by the prior generation that are not well communicated in terms of what they mean and what they don't mean. So the next generation can have hurt feelings. But it's a very difficult situation. Like you have three children in your business and all three want to be the next CEO. Mm-hmm. And the board or the, you know, the family picks one. How do the other two feel? And what does that really mean? And so there's a lot of time needs to be spent with family meetings and why we have the family business. How, you, how what's the right roles for everybody and what this means and doesn't mean and also trying to work with the family individuals to be certain that we're kind of meeting their needs as, as good as possible. And so they're working through that is very, a very important step and foundational. So I, I would say that's the, the first part and try to keep the, um, the unintended consequences and dealing with issues that might have come up in terms of people's minds understood so there's not mm. misunderstanding i think that's probably the obvious part that i'm trying to get at the second step is kind of the ownership and once you get the next generation that's going to come together they need to get together on their own mm. i usually recommend outside of you know use of paternal and maternal blessings after you kind of work through but they need to figure out how they're going to operate within their their generation and work through the issues so they're all aligned and on the same page and once you do that, it really ought to be memorialized in employment agreements and shareholder operating agreements. So it's very clear in writing what, what the families agreed to. And we did that in our in our business, and that was very helpful. We had to figure out how many people were going to be the owners. Are we going to have mm-hmm. just the acting members own the business? Are we going to have all the cousins, so to speak, be owners of the business? And, and so we had to sit down and talk to everybody and figure out who wanted to be in the business and who you know kind of work through all those issues. So that was a real important part of it getting the um, ownership of our next generation. So you get the family figured out with the prior generation, being certain there's no miscommunications or hard feelings or misunderstandings in the next generation. The next generation gets together and gets themselves aligned so that they are on the same page, all shooting towards the same 
goals and targets. The next step, number three, is really retirement planning and estate planning. People need to retire to something. Now, it could be playing golf and, you know, every day. And that's, that's just fine if that works for that individual. But others are sometimes not satisfied with that. So you got to mm-hmm. figure out, help them figure out what, what, what are they going to do? I mean, come, coming back to the business every day and, and making decisions and, and you know, disrupting the management process is not what you want. So you really need to work <laughs> through, you know, what are they going to do? And they have a meaningful retirement plan. And then there could be roles within the business. They could be the community relations person, you know, or the couple customers that they really have great relationships with. They could be, you know, stay involved with those and maybe not the same level of detail as they did before. But there could be roles within the business, but fundamentally finding purpose for them so they have a satisfactory retirement and they don't get in the way of and change their mind about retiring. Estate planning is the other side. You know, that's, that's a huge issue. Uh, most people are pretty good at that these days, but, you know, the whole setting up the trust, generation skipping, yeah. kinds of trust and taxes and so on. You want to have really good um, tax and estate planning because that liquidity requirement when businesses transfer um, upon a death can be very expensive from a, from a liquidity yeah. perspective. Uh, and then the fourth step is governance and really having governance for both the family and the business uh, separate. There's family dealing with family issues, who can be employed, if somebody needs to be terminated, if there are conflicts, you know, how are you going to deal with a family kinds of part of the family business and the business side which is the traditional board of directors and you know how those things are set up and established and governed is very important the fifth is strategic planning uh, it's, it's not unique to family businesses but i think what i have sometimes see is too many families the next generation takes over and it's going to continue on with dad or mom's strategies and mm-hmm. that is, can be a very big mistake as you mentioned earlier business conditions are changing rapidly and at least during the transition you should be stepping back, looking at what the shareholders' goals are, your your peers, your shareholder goals are, and how do you achieve those goals with an updated strategic plan. After business strategic planning, of course, there are several other steps in the business transition. The first one that comes to mind is risk assessment and contingency planning. Most successful family businesses, they're good risk managers or they wouldn't be around today. But one of the things that I, I have noticed is that when, they don't really think about the, you know, the black swan risk, the risk that one in every 200 years something could happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a hope strategy that that won't happen to us. And you really need to take some time to be certain if you lose a major refinancing or you lost your CEO or you lost a, a major, if you're very concentrated in your customer base, you lost a major customer, what would you do? So you need to focus and have some plans in place to protect the business if the unthinkable does happen. The seventh, of course, then is management. What do you need in terms of implementing a strategic plan? Strategic planning, in my mind, drives management organizational requirements. What do you need to implement? And so you need to work through your entire organization to see what places need to be replaced, what new positions are there, and so on. Do we have the right team in place to implement the strategy? The eighth one is family leadership development. And that's really dealing with the future. Well, you never know quite when the future is going to happen because there, there's unplanned transitions that can occur. Something happened to a, the family leadership. Who's going to step in? And so you want to continually working on developing the next generation of family leaders, not necessarily to be the CEO, but to be good owners, be able to be good board members, to understand basic financial, you know, read financial statements, and be a contributing member to the family business. That also helps with kind of keeping the family together because people want to feel connected to your family business. It's a very important mm-hmm. part of family business. At the end of the day, with my cousins, 
it was still their daddy's business, regardless of the fact that my dad was the CEO. Yeah. You know, they're all connected to it. They want to feel connected. So having ways to allow them to be connected is a very important part of making your business last. And the last step, the ninth step, is stakeholder communications planning. There's lots of stakeholders, right? There's your management team. There's other family members. There's customers, suppliers, employees. And communicating to them that you have a transition plan in place so they have comfort that they're not going to lose their job or a customer's not going to lose, you know, lose its supply base or suppliers mm-hmm. not customer and so on. Um, you really want to have good communications. What we also like to recommend is a 100-day plan at this point in time. So when there is a transition, you have a layout of communications in the business and the organization and finances and tracking performance over the next 100 days. So you're really out of the shoots running fast and you have a lot of positive energy you're able to achieve and accomplish and measure performance and really kickstart the, uh, the next generation. The steps that you elucidate here like show how multi-layered and, and quite complex, of course, the considerations are that we have to look at when we transition generations for in the family business. But generally also that just shows it's not just at the point of succession. At any given moment in time, all of the factors that you've mentioned have a huge impact on the success of a family business, right? Like, so essentially you could say like, these are these are steps that you consistently want to bear in mind, basically, have we really, these are dynamic processes, right? Like they don't just happen once and then you forget about them. These are points that should probably be considered regularly. And it's, it's so fascinating because all of this, why do we do all of this, right? Like, and your book actually includes those three words, like, you know, your business, your family, your legacy. And it all amounts to this legacy building, right? Like, I guess, like this idea of like, you know, out, outliving your own life and like carrying something on, leaving something behind. I wanted to ask you, to you having, again, having seen both sides, like, you know, building a legacy, what does that mean to you today? What does a legacy mean to you today? And also, again, the question of context, like, is legacy today a whole different discussion than it was maybe 50 or 100 years ago? you know, when, when the world looked quite different. If you think about family businesses and you talk to people that are in leadership today, they often say, we're doing this for the kids, for the next generation. And there's at least some level of truth to that. I mean, there's probably also they're doing it for themselves and you know, their family and <laughs> successful and their, their own achievements. But there's a strong underlying core that we're sacrificing for the future. And that's what I grew up with, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you look at what happens with this altruistic, suffering, you know, risk-taking family generation that wants to pass something on bigger and better for their future children and children's children. Then you find out that by Gen 3, only 12% are left. And then you find out that some are end up in lawsuits. People don't get together for, you know, holidays anymore. And they just, you know, and it's so all of a sudden, that's the worst possible thing that could happen. And so that's part of my passion is to protect that, to to help make that happen with the knowledge that you can, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a strong commitment to make that happen. And if, you know, if 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 you treat people the right way and respect them and deal with their issues, and not just treat them like they're lucky because they inherited the stock and really didn't, haven't contributed much. Uh, you know, you can make it work. You can make it last. But it requires a lot of work to make it last. And that's kind of why I wrote the book. And it does need to be revisited on a regular basis because things change over time. 
I was going to say it requires a lot of effort and the right reading. So like, let's add uh, George Isaac's book uh, to our reading list to make our family businesses last. So thank you very much, George, for this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.